uh, we have 20 minutes. Shall we do some um, actual topics? Yes. So... Hello everyone and welcome to the Octothought Podcast, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. This episode is coming to you on the 27th of May 2021. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have some letters of comment for you all in this low energy podcast. And why is it a low energy podcast, John? Eurovision. Because... Two thirds of this podcast stayed up to watch Eurovision. And it turns out that when you watch Eurovision, even if you're not playing a Eurovision drinking game, you drink. You do drink. And the other third of the podcast did not watch Eurovision or do any drinking, but I did have to unexpectedly work on a Saturday. So I'm tired. But many normal Eurovision things happened at Eurovision, including my favourite track not winning and a lot of people wearing spangly things and... There was an awful lot of spangle. A lot of jokes and the British entry got no points and it was compounded by the head of the British jurors saying, oh, I'm, I've just said hello in German and Dutch, but I don't know which is which, which I think really sums up the UK attitude to Europe and why we got null points. So it's quite interesting because obviously I did not watch Eurovision, but when I wake up, my Twitter and Facebook feeds are full of Eurovision. So now I want somebody who's not me, but might be listening to this podcast to write a science fiction story about the Intergalactic Song Contest, where the broadcasting unions of various Federation planets. Oh, that was nominated. That was nominated for a Hugo two years ago. It was written by Catherine M. Valente, and it was called Space Opera. Damn. Yes, and I read thirty pages of it. I really enjoyed it, but it was divisive. You need to read more science fiction. on. I do. That sounds like the sort of thing I'd really like. Did it have um, some aliens on a, on a tricked-out tractor singing about spring? Basically, yeah. It was, it was literally Eurovision in space. If you were not a fan of that style of comedy, you did not get on with it. I thought it was quite good. So was it more or less science fictional than... Fire Saga, the story of Eurovision, or whatever it's called. I mean, it's literally set in space. Yeah, so then yes. Um, no, I, th- I think, because um, I know Liz said she didn't like it. I think the thing is with comedy is that the the reason comedies don't do well in awards that do not explicitly recognise comedy is because comedy is far more divisive than non-comedy. A sense of humour is way more personal than, like, drama or anything else. So it is... Um, I, I enjoyed it, but like, if it doesn't align with your sense of humour, like, you will bounce off it hard. Um, so yeah, it's like uh, one of those things. Yeah, I think my issue is that I love how Catherine Blenty has an extremely strong style in all of her novels, and it can be quite different in all of her novels. Um, but for this one, I read 40 pages and went, this is trying like so hard to have that Douglas Adams-like sense of humour that I feel embarrassed to be reading it. Like, it just hit that sort of, like, I I cannot read it because it is trying so hard and failing for me to be funny in this particular way that I just couldn't couldn't get any further into it. It was a really strong reaction, and I don't normally have a reaction uh, that strong to books, actually. Like, sometimes I will stop reading them because I'm a bit bored, but in this case, I was not bored. I was just 
ooh, it, it triggered something and I could not read anymore. Um, but I did really like uh, Radiance, one of her previous books, so you should just go and read that one instead. Anyway, we have letters of comment. Yeah. So, Anne Rosin wrote in to say, four minutes into your last episode, did Alan Partridge shout aha in the distance? Possibly down into the tunnel that Alison was broadcasting from. And, uh, and we did respond to tell her that we did eventually manage to coax Alison out of her tunnel. Uh, but Alison was very happy and we felt a bit bad about it. I, I did go back and someone does shout aha in the background at that moment. So well noticed and... Is that me? I think it was you because I didn't notice it while we were recording or while I was listening to the edited version for uh, later release. So good ears and... Yeah, that 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 is the sort of thing that we're supposed to pick up whilst editing and say, "Oi, John, you've left a faint aha in." No, it's very quiet. Why would we have done that? We would have got one fewer letter of comment. Are you saying you left it in deliberately as a comment hook? We would never say things just to get letters of comment, <laughs> would we? No, we wouldn't. We, we no, obviously not. That would be terrible. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> So, uh, Peter Sullivan also tweeted us to say that his concern with a whole weekend of the Wusfers business meeting can basically be summarised as the devil makes work for idle hands to do. And that, that is a cogent and succinct criticism of our uh, last conversation. Thank you very much, Peter. You may have a point. Yeah, he, go- he goes on to say that, that his his direct worry is that a business meeting with more time would start trying to micromanage the Worldcon itself. And I can see that there's a possibility that would, would happen. It just occurs to me that things like, at the moment we have kind of the business meeting will appoint a committee, and in theory the committee goes away and deliberates for like a year or two years and then comes back with a report. And the question is whether we could take some of that extremely lengthy deliberations that normally happen over a year or two and maybe fire some of them off in a weekend in a more concise way. Or at least rather than kind of saying a committee will go and study that, have a meeting which then set up a committee with, uh, you know, more of a remit for what they're actually going to do, which is doable in a year. Because I just feel some things have kind of gone off to committees and then... um, something which already takes several years to ratify then spend several years being discussed by committee and it just gets kind of slower and slower to change anything maybe i'm missing the point of the whispers business meeting there well hang on hang on i just i just want to say something in reaction to what liz said um the the one thing about that is obviously like some committees are going to take a year because they need to like consult with the community and and that's a thing you can't shorten um but but in general like if it's just doing research like i can definitely see that some of those things could be shortened perhaps um you could definitely shorten consulting with the community if you do it by saying we're going to have a meeting on the internet on this day and if you want to be involved this is where you're going to be but you but you can't do that with six hours notice right you can't be like we're going to consult with the community and if the community in six hours could be consulted with that would be great that's not how community consultations work <laughs> yes yeah, so Espanya wrote with two further points on wusfus she said it might be worth clarifying that member of Wusfus and member of Wilcon are the same thing. And that is quite right. It might be. And I think one of the things I specifically said last time is that I would like to see the member of Wusfus expanded to be more than merely the member of the seated Wilcon. But that leads into Espanya's second point, which is that while she agrees that making the business meeting easier better or less mind-numbing to attend is desirable, she is leery of the idea to opening it up to anyone on the internet with $50 and a grudge. Not a bad point. 
a fair point. There are a lot of those people. The fact that it's structured at the moment in a way that means you have to have a certain level of um, kind of wealth, wealth privilege to make it worth your while attending does mean that there is a, a kind of a gatekeeping aspect. But I think it is worth pointing out that that does cut both ways. It, it both it, it, it may mean that the people who attend are more invested in the good of the world con than otherwise, and that might actually be a good side effect. And you would have to think quite carefully about how to replicate that if you did try and open it up. Um, so that is, I think, a very good point. Um, Ispania's first point uh, brought to you by a conversation where she was like, sometimes you guys use words and, like, not everyone will know what the words mean. And I was like, that is a good point. I'm wondering whether we should do some sort of... Um, uh fanish dictionary episode at some point where uh newer listeners uh can get up to date on all of our jargon um but if you do ever listen to us say something and you're like oh they're using a word and i don't really know what it means please do write in because we're not doing it on purpose and we would very much like to be told uh when we are being more obtuse than usual yes you can also Instead of writing to us, you could write to Mr. Google, who'll probably tell you what the word means. Um, you might want to include context like fanac or science fiction fandom with your word. Otherwise, you will discover weird things on Urban Dictionary. Fanac is one of the words that you might use. Fanac is a uh, portmanteau, meaning fan activity. The more you know. Um, but... It's then often defined as anything that fans do, like watching Eurovision. I like Spanish letter. I think an episode purely about jargon would be very tedious, but maybe we can have jargon corner. Please write to us listeners and tell us what should be in jargon corner. We may have too many corners by now, but we're virtual. We can have as many corners as we like. We're a dodecahedron of love, Liz. Okay, so let's be clear here. Dodecahedrons don't really have corners. You meant dodecagon. I did mean dodecagon. <laughs> a dodecahedron has vertices. It does. Well, this is good. And for those who don't know, a dodecahedron is a 12-sided solid shape. No, it bloody isn't. No, it isn't. It doesn't have sides. It has faces. <laughs> what we're hearing here is a mathematician and a physicist in, dis in, in conversation. So we, we have many corners because we are a mathematical object of indeterminate size. No, we've just discussed we don't have any corners. We have vertices. So actually we have dictionary vertex and jargon vertex and poetry vertex. And I will go back and edit all of those in the previous episodes. Octothought poetry vortex. Yes, let's have, have vortices instead. I think that's the way forward vortices maybe this conversation can go down a vortex <laughs> c dave wrote in uh he's not yet admitted to himself that he's never going to get around to casting something in resin uh you could dave just to do it yeah i believe in you uh and also he says he's never going to ascend a wuss for business meeting and is unlikely to ever get deep enough into the weeds to understand all the discussion if he did go. But he enjoys listening to the discussion because his hobby isn't SF or fandom. It's fan of fandom. Uh, so, yes, fandom is a way of life, etc. So I, I would say I am glad that someone is enjoying the wuss for business meeting segments because I suspect many of our audience have <laughs> reached the end of the... We've had a number of letters to that effect. 
And so maybe maybe next time will be a Wispus free podcast. I also would say that I did go to a Wispus business meeting and someone gave me a popcorn smoth ribbon, which I treasure. <laughs> a person who is a fan is of a good Wispus ribbon. fandom. That is a very good ribbon. I like that. Popcorn smoth? Popcorn smoth. As in I'm at the business meeting for the popcorn. Oh, because they gave you popcorn or because you were eating popcorn whilst watching Wuspus? No, like in the sense that when you see drama on a Discord or a Slack, sometimes you just comment comment with a popcorn emoji instead of actually arguing. You say, I'll get the popcorn. Yeah, I don't think it is that. I think it's that they give out popcorn at the Wuspus business meeting. No, no one gave me any popcorn. Yeah, no. I mean, if if they gave out popcorn at the Wuspus business meeting, we would go to the Wuspus business meeting. This should be a constitutional amendment. There should always be popcorn at... I'm pretty sure I've... I've been to a business meeting that had muffins or something. I think in the US there was coffee and muffins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is often snacks, snackage. Uh, in the European ones, no snacks. No. Boo. Buck your ideas up, Europe. Yes. So Spike wrote to us to tell us two exciting things about Winnipeg. Yes. One of which is it's only about a 10-hour drive from Nebraska. And the second is Backman Turner Overdrive. And and you need to know that neither of these quite hit my excitability threshold, Spike. Um I think I think because when you say, oh, such and such a place is alright because it's only ten hour drive from such and such another place, that's not damning with faint praise in the UK. That is just a straight out insult. So it doesn't read to us as a compliment or as a like double edged sword. It just reads as if this place is awful. <laughs> because to me, like an hour away is too long. Ten hours is like Scotland. She sends a link to a song by Backman Turner Overdrive. And there and we will put the link in the show notes. And she would like us to know that the lead singer is not Chris Garcia. Because the band would have to have been called Garcia Turner Overdrive. I would also like to say uh, that Spike uh, sends me hand instructions for how to find Nebraska on the map, which turns out to be find Winnipeg and then go south. And when she sent me the instructions, I did look at it on a map and I did discover that I have in fact been to Nebraska, despite saying I had never been to Nebraska. But I went through it on a train and the train deliberately, I think, goes through Nebraska at night because there's nothing very interesting to look at. Whereas, you know, it's, it spends its days going through Colorado and uh, the Sierra Nevadas, which are much more fun to look at, I think, than Nebraska. So sorry, Nebraska, I have been there, but I have absolutely no recollection of it. That is, that is fair. I have been looking on a map while we have been talking, and if I drove for 10 hours, I could get to the Scottish Highlands. I started by looking at Aberdeen, but Aberdeen is too close. And that is a sentence no one has ever said about Aberdeen before. <laughs> It's always there, lurking in the back of your mind, the threat of Aberdeen. And for people who don't know the detailed domestic arrangements of Octothorpe, John lives almost as far south as it's possible to live and not fall off the bottom of England, so... It's true. Uh, right, so we, we end our letters of comment today with Chris Garcia... Um, who says that Winnipeg is pretty cool, actually. He likes the convention centre and there's a lot of good food around. Um, and, yeah, he, he generally seems quite positive. Farah Mendelssohn wrote to us to tell us that the solution to the Best Cat Award is the village 
Fate Pet Show Award, also also used for children's masquerades, where you give every cat an award for being best cat at something. So Badger is the best Wilcon Bidchair cat. And Farah's own Major Tom, who has a Hugo rocket on his nose, is quite obviously best science fiction cat face. We should get through to illustrate a cat with a Hugo on his nose. I like this because then Quentin and Alice can clearly be best Octothorpe podcast cats. It's true. Yeah, but, but in fact, um, masquerades and, and children's pet displays at village fets have things like the snuggliest cat and the furriest cat and the ouchiest cat if one of them has bitten the judges. Alice is the softest cat, but I think Quentin is the floofiest cat. There we go. Regular listeners should note that I've met John's cats and I cannot tell them apart. It's all in the ears, Liz. It's all in the ears. They are both equally soft and floofy. Anyway. Espania bought a new phone and as a result of which I can now detect John's cats in photographs because prior to that I just believed they were kind of black cat-shaped holes in the middle of zoom meetings and pictures and things but but the new camera is adequate to identify it as a cat yes i assume that's machine learning probably probably um and then finally we have chris garcia now last episode we said that we did not always go to world cons for the tourism but chris points out a very key point which i had not thought of which is that he is a food Worldcon voter and he votes on his stomach. And actually, that is a 10 out of 10 way to vote because um, my, my, my parents get annoyed with me when we go on holiday because the thing I like best about travel is eating. And they'll be like, do you remember this thing that was really good that was something to do with architecture or culture or something? I'll be like, no. And then they'll be like, oh. And I'll be like, but I do remember that restaurant. And they'll be like, but, but what? Uh, but I, I bloody love food. Anyone who has met me will regard my shape and maybe notice that that is not a surprise uh but yes um and he uh talks about some of the good food that he had in dublin yeah what i remember from dublin is the donuts oh the donuts the donuts and the pizza at 2am although to be fair the pizza at 2am was the other side of dublin well not the other side of dublin but it was a long way from the convention center but it was near our airbnb so we did eat a lot of pizza i'll put an image in the chapter art but it was good. And the donuts. Oh, I'm applying for a fellowship in Dublin and I would be lying if I didn't say the donuts had played a role. Alison is honourable. I'm going to be one of the guests of honour at the joint um, Science Fiction Foundation and British Science Fiction Association AGM, which is happening online on the 26th of June. Um, I'm giving a talk um, tentatively entitled My Year in Virtual Fandom, um, but I haven't written it yet. So if you want to know my writing plan, it's that I will not think about it until about 8am on the 26th of June, and then I will cry for three hours. <laughs> that is, having having worked with Alison on projects, that seems reasonable. Um it's called Conspire, which is a good name. Very good name, um, I think. The Science Fiction Foundation and the British Science Fiction Association are sort of organisations for critical analysis of SF in the UK, would you say? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> okay. The Science Fiction Foundation is a charity which uh, 
basically promotes science fiction and related topics. I should actually find out what the Science Fiction Foundation's um, actual like charitable goal is, which I should know because I've been on the committee of both the Science Fiction Foundation and. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to contradict you, but it's to provide research facilities to investigate, promote usefulness of SF, to disseminate information, and to preserve, promote a discriminating understanding of the nature of. So I think it's to be organised for critique, like. I, it seems from the four aims they've got on their website seems very much geared towards academic analysis to me I, I think it's much closer to say academic analysis than criticism what's the difference between academic analysis and criticism that could we could have an entire episode just on that that'd be quite because i was fascinated by the um hugo finalist who describes themselves as a professional enthusiast which i think means an uncritical critic the Science Fiction Foundation also notably organised the George Hay Lecture at EasterCon to promote a science topic and interesting talk by a scientist to people at the uh, EasterCon. Um, and I think that's also kind of a key part is trying to kind of, rather than stay in an academic bubble, but then try and, you know, bring this out to the wider SF fandom. The Science Fiction Foundation definitely has an outreach role. And the British Science Fiction Association, no matter how hard it is to tell sometimes, is a member association. It's a club. And it is a club for science fiction fans. But it has the kind of same issues around that as as you get with other hobbies, that that sort of central club never quite accurately reflects the set of people who are who might be in the club. That's fair. Not all British science fiction fans are in the BSFA by um, by a long shot. Um, and I left at the point where I discovered that they were sending me a lot of paper every month that I didn't want to read. I think they probably stopped sending people large bunches of paper, but I might be wrong about that. <laughs> no, you are. I wrote to the membership secretary to be like, how do I get the uh, paperless option? And I was met with no one's ever asked that before as the response, which I find incredibly difficult to believe. That is a lie. <laughs> no one's ever asked the current secretary um, paperless option. Yes. <laughs> but I think, I think when I say they're both um, critical organisations, I think, I think going on their website, that is unfair. But I will say that um, both of them send paper to do with criticism to you if you join them. So it, it may well be that uh, if you're... My primary experience with the BSFA has been receiving their publications and their publications are focused around criticism, academic analysis and reviewing. Um, but going on the website, they have also got writing groups and a participation fund and things like that. Um, so, yes, I am a member of the BSFA very newly. Um, and, and yeah, it's been good so far. I enjoy Vector, even though most of it I don't really understand. I think it's, it's also a case that uh, so there used to be more than one magazine. I think they don't have Matrix anymore. It kind of was a sort of news zine. Um, I had some reviews and did a lot of stuff about media SF. Um, I think it was kind of going to go online, but then never really took off. And at this point, I'm not sure what the status is. I think kind of Vector's academicness sort of varies depending on who is editing it. Um, and what they're focusing on at the time. I feel it may be more of an academic phase, but I do think some of their recent issues look very interesting. I am not a member, but at this point, I would also need very much a paperless option. Um, and like you said, I'm not sure that is currently available. Yeah, and and of course, they run the BSFA Awards. They have yes. a long-standing, not-quite-link with EasterCon, um, because 
for a while they ran the EastCon, but that was a very, very long time ago. They do go through more and less critical phases, and I think the BSFA is in a more critical phase at the moment. They used to have a magazine called Focus for aspiring writers. I believe Focus is still going. Yes. They actually do have, in 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 times when we can have actual clubhouse meetings, they do have London meetings, at least. Um, where they where they get an author to do a little talk and then they drink. Yes, I did go to a number of London pub meetings when I was close enough to do that, and they were good fun. Back in the before times, they they worked out that the way that they could make their AGM quarret was to combine with the Science Fiction Foundation and have a and run a one day convention into which they in, included both the AGMs and some other stuff, and that is the. That is the thing that is now Conspire Online. So I assume that both organisations didn't have their AGM last year, but concluded that they needed to have one this year. But I don't know. And Traditionally, I think they would have one AGM just before lunch and one AGM just after lunch, so that anyone who was not interested in the AGMs could have an extra long lunch. This is a good plan. The Students' Union at Leicester University used to bribe us to attend the AGM by threatening our society funding if we didn't go. Okay, so fanzines. Before we wrap up today, we're going to have a chat about the humble fanzine and also, in modern times, the not-so-humble fanzine. That, that was a joke for, basically, for Claire and maybe for Alison. Um, so Alison wants to talk about fanzines and I'm going to let her and then I'm going to interject with thoughts when she has things that I have thoughts about and Liz is going to also have thoughts, but perhaps fewer thoughts because Liz doesn't care as much about fanzines as we do. Basically correct. Hey! <laughs> I now look like a rabbit caught in headlights, and the reason why is that I had a whole plan for our fanzine episode in which I was going to read quite a bit of all of the Hugo finalist fanzines, and I was also going to read or reread quite a bit of the sorts of fanzines that I like and think ought to be Hugo <laughs> finalists and i did neither of these things um so i am therefore left arguing from a position of almost complete ignorance well maybe this can be like the fanzine fanzine five minutes and we can do a full episode at some point when you've done it so i think what i want to do is actually kick off uh I think quite a lot of people who are listening to Octothorpe do like the sort of fanzines I like, which, where, and here's the tiny little rant, what you're actually doing is writing about things in order to set up a dialogue and discussion with the other people who are reading your fanzine as part of a community um, to therefore build interesting thoughts and you have therefore an active letter column and you... Um, you 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 listen to what your your readers have to say, and I was um, very struck yesterday when reading the um, seventeen hundred issues of Philosophical Transactions, which is the Journal of the Royal Society, um, which are now all online. And clearly, people wrote longer letters then. But the fact is that what that was reads much more like a fanzine than than a lot of the Hugo finalist fanzines where I am not seeing the interplay of of different community views in the way that I would expect and I know that that interplay does happen it just doesn't I think happen in the pages of fanzines anymore 
um, or not the pages of fanzines that get regularly nominated for Hugos. I would like to see more of the sort of thing I like getting onto the Hugo shortlist and I want to think about how we can make that happen. Does that sound like a kickoff rant for a discussion of fanzines? Yes, I have thoughts. Good. So. Oh, sorry. Present company accepted, obviously. <laughs> Except not because... Yes, no. I mean, so Journey Planet, the um, fanzine which I um, edit as part of a enormous sort of amorphous blob with many heads and tentacles snap out that was a a tentacle snapping out listeners tentacles snap out and snare interviews with people and and things like that Uh, but we don't really have a letter column so in that sense um, we are not a fanzine that fulfills Alison's exhortation to uh, community dialogue I will say two things here which I think will probably cause letters The first one is, I think, and this is an argument that I've had with people before, the traditional fanzine fandom never really developed beyond PDFs being shared on a website uh, with lots of PDFs on it. And that is, as and, and, and I don't have a problem with that being a form of fanzine that people enjoy and want to engage with. But there is, I think, a very hard kind of edge to the traditional kind of fanzine community who who progressed and moved with the times and like they went from mimeo to word processors and they went from kind of printed fanzines to pdfs and then they kind of stopped at pdfs and there is this disconnect between the community of people who make pdfs and the community of people who are doing fan writing in more accessible media and i don't have a problem with people preferring pdfs and wanting to play in that space i think that's brilliant and if that's your bag great but i do think it is a shame that there is this this real step between the community of people who are doing that and like the community of people who are doing fan writing everywhere else on the internet and i think that is something that is not wholly the fault of either camp I I am frustrated with both groups that there is not a gradient in between those. And I think it's just the way it ended up being. But like, it is a shame, I think, that there are not more people from the fanzine community that I grew up in uh, making fanzines that are not just PDFs being shared on the internet. Some notable exceptions to this include... um, the excellent banana wings which is also available in epub formats now which i think is great uh, i was doing epubs before i wrapped up procrastinations and i always thought they were a very good vehicle for that more kind of traditional fanzine but most fanzines are still pdfs which are very difficult to read for example on a phone which is where i do most of my reading of things that are not novels or comics uh, and so banana wings i think does a really good job and is one of the more innovative um, players in this space uh, the other one is um, Alison did a letter fanzine uh, through email, uh, which I think she did two issues of a few years ago. Um, I'm definitely doing another one of those. As soon as I finish yep, the yep. Hugo Voter Packet and punctuation and yep. get Eastcon 2023 sorted. Yeah. Uh, so 2024, look out for issue three. Um, and Lulzine um, was inspired by Alison's zine uh, in that regard. But these are zines that come out um over email and have more of a traditional fanzine sensibility in the like lulzine and allison zine both had letters of comment uh and had that kind of letter column experience but were not doing it in a kind of printed um printed fanzine way 
uh but kind of playing with 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 more up-to-date media um chuck connor did a cd-rom fanzine which was about 10 or 12 years ago now but it was basically he would send you a cd-rom and it had a website on it and you browsed the website and i thought that was fantastic and that was kind of before wordpress and stuff like that got popular and i was like this is really great and i can see how this is going to be really cool in the future and then no one's really played with that and lulzine did start trying to do a kind of um website-based experience but it's it's quite hard and maintaining websites is tedious so i do understand why more people do not do that because it requires an awful lot more uh consistent effort than making a pdf that you then upload somewhere does um on the other side of the coin i think the people making more modern fanzines are ignoring that letter column thing but i think part of the reason for that is that there are so many more places you can have those conversations now than there were when the traditional fanzines were were kind of coming out so in the old days in like the 50s if you wanted to have a conversation with people you did it in the letter column because you couldn't just tweet at them or text them um but now like i think in a way twitter is kind of like a worldwide letter column and so i think part of the reason we're seeing much less engagement in zines themselves is because a lot of that engagement has been shunted to other platforms and i see why that's happening but i do think it's a shame because i think there is merit to having a consistent group of commentators and building that conversation that is more coherent and i think that's something that uh octothorpe does in that we have the letter column uh which we have kind of poached um from old old style fanzines but is also something you see in a lot of um the tech podcasts that me and allison kind of formed our opinions on how podcasts should work by listening to um where you do have this sense of community and this sense of comment uh and this building up of relationships with the commentators um and the audience and so i think um we're trying to build that kind of coherent um conversation in octothorpe but doing it in a way that isn't a pdf on a website and so sometimes i refer to lulzine as an episode and sometimes i refer to octothorpe as an issue and that's because in my head they're both very much attempts to do the same sort of thing which is to leave a more modern styles of communication but to try and capture that sense of community that the fanzines i read when i was younger kind of addressed um and also uh, if anyone knows Jim Deliscard, get him to publish another bloody Gerald, will you? Because that's the third thing that's wrong with fanzines today. There's not enough Gerald. I now, of course, have many, many things to say. But that's all we've got time for this week on Octothorpe. So it's good. Oh, no, we can't. You, John has to do that bit. Am I, am I not allowed, like, you know, a 30 second rebuttal? I believe you're allowed 90 seconds. Which is fine. I can do it in 90 seconds. I have two responses, mostly to John. One is that I hadn't realised that what you were doing when you persuaded us to set up Octothorpe was stealthily reinvigorating your uh, fanzine tradition. But well done. I do like the regular commenter commenters who write to us uh, very often. Thank you very much. And if anyone hasn't written us a letter for a while, please write in and tell us how you're doing. I'd like to hear from you. And second, I think that... Um, in a way, what is happening in the wider world is maybe something that fanzines can learn from, which is I think people are leaving Twitter a little bit and maybe moving to platforms like Substack or uh, other kind of Substack clones where you can have something which is a, a letter which gets emailed to people, but you can also have a thriving comment section under them. Now, I know a lot of 
uh, Substack seem to set that up by essentially having sort of paid subscriptions and then you have special threads for your paid subscribers and that's maybe not a model to move to. But that is, it it's kind of feels like a blog that you email to people, but it does seem to be working in a lot of fields to get people really engaged and discussing with each other. I just want to say, I didn't deliberately start Octothorpe to try and reinvigorate my fanzine uh, sensibilities. It just sort of accidentally happened when we started getting letters of comment. <laughs> so it wasn't as insidious as, as it sounds when you put it like that. And I, I didn't mean to hoodwink anyone. Um, but yes, yeah. Yeah, I think those are good points. Uh, and I should also note, File Seven Seventy does have a thriving comment section underneath each post. And I and I should I should not have left File Seven Seventy out because I think File Seven Seventy is actually the one great, the other great example of a traditional fanzine that did really successfully bridge that gap. And Mike Glyer won several Hugo's, I think, uh, in recent years, in part because uh, he had successfully managed to do that. Please write in tell us if we're wrong please also write in if you haven't written in for a while we miss you i, I was going through the old letters of comments the other day and karen schaefer was um messaging us about her jigsaws how are your jigsaws karen we liked hearing about those um so yes uh we really do have to wrap up Alison doesn't want to wrap up. She is simmering with things she wishes to say, but that is good because it means that when letters of comment come in saying them, we will be able to segue seamlessly into Fanzine's next episode, listeners. I have gone from comatose to t- to simmering in one hour. <laughs> all, all that has to happen is that I say wrong things about fandom and then Alison wakes up quite <laughs> quick. And on that bombshell, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Gossier, turn turn it over, Octothorpe. Beatboxing Vertex. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.